This podcast may include adult content. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Algorithms of a Breakup by Steve Howard and Succession by Don Allison. Bound Off is always looking for great stories. Visit our website at boundoff.com to find our submission guidelines. While there, check out our news blog. You can also find links to us on Facebook and MySpace. Also on our website is the Bound Off Bookstore, in affiliation with Amazon. There you can purchase Stirring the Mirror by Christine Boyk Kluge and Fires by Nick Antoska. Algorithms of a Breakup, written by Steve Howard, read by Dave Robinson. Listening time, 5 minutes, 38 seconds. Algorithms of a Breakup, by Steve Howard. I've attempted to recreate it, if that's the correct word. I'm not sure about the terminology. I mean, I'm trying to basically deconstruct the destruction or maybe reverse engineer it. I don't know. I mean, can an event, a past event, be reverse engineered or deconstructed? I'm going to attempt it. I have to. Okay, it's just that I have the memory intact. Analyzable data, I think, right? And the conditions, I've recreated the conditions exactly. Well, not exactly. I mean, she's not here anymore, okay? I've accepted that, but that's what I'm trying to correct, her absence. I have the porcelain cup, or an exact copy of its slight alteration, some chalk dust coating the surface to track the shards when it breaks. And the corner wall, the same as before, only painted black now instead of beige. Again, so I can track the shatter patterns and Hanako, I mean, not the real Hanako, <laughs> simulated Hanako, for testing purposes, a real doll, but I don't use it or anything. It's just a simulation. Right. All necessary. So necessary to change it, I just need enough evidence, that's all. She'll see. I think she'll see. Okay, slow down now. Remember, recreate everything in my mind right up to the exit point. Me over there in the yellow lounge chair facing the television, watching Naruto. My glasses, a little too round maybe, they make my nose look pointy, but they're expensive, bookworm chic. My hair gelled back to hide the thinning, still stylish, dark brown with blonde streaks. My hairstylist does well for himself. I'm lounging, so my tall, lanky body is adorned in casuals, a long-sleeved checkered cotton shirt, chambray and white, faded Edwin jeans, and Patagonia socks, grunge without the heroin or the smell, and with a better haircut. Okay, that part is in place. Oh yes, the cup. The green porcelain cup, resting lightly in my hand. Set. Okay, now for her. She's gone now, but I've accepted. Focus, Anthony. Okay, Hanako standing in the atrium to the left of the corner wall, now painted black to track the shards. She's goth tonight, ready to go out. Black, over-dyed, black, straight hair, long past her shoulders. White face, big brown eyes, round for Japanese. Black v-neck sweater, black lace bra, black leather riding jacket, mine, too big for her. Black leather miniskirt, fishnet leggings, white thigh-high leather boots. Hanako's slouching slightly, chewing purple bubblegum, annoyed and bored. She's just a beautiful, emotional doll, a wind chime, so fragile. Okay, set. Okay, conversation, remembering. First, our tone. Yes, tone of voice is critical here. The words and the tone of voice are the, were the, I've accepted this, catalyst. Okay, the conversation. Remember it. Me. I'm watching this, Hanako, 
I want to go out to Ob Bars or the Chicken Nest anywhere. Me. You knew I wanted to watch Naruto tonight. I told you I was going to watch it. Hanako. We never go dancing anytime. It's been two months ago since last time. Me. Anymore. It's been two months since the last time, and you're wrong. We went to Shiro's Shooters Club on the 14th, 20 days ago. Oh, shit, the lighting. Okay, pause the conversation. Check everything carefully. Something's not right. Look closely. The kitchen. It's too bright. Dim the lights. Okay, yes. Tokyo Tower through the window in the background. Yamada English School's neon sign burning across the street. Perfect. Now back to the conversation. Let it unwind again and go. Hanako. I have sex with Jake last week. Me. What did you just say? Hanako. We do it twice. I'm sorry, Anthony. Okay, not okay, okay. Memories intact, set, focus, do the recreation. You need the shards, need to track. This is evidence, okay? Sit in the lounge chair, face the television, hold the cup lightly in your hand, review the conversation one more time. Okay, slight slip. Uh, Hanako in her schoolgirl's uniform, me receiving a spanking. Focus, Anthony. Hanako, we do it twice. I'm sorry, Anthony. And raise your eyes from the television. Tighten your body. Slow your breathing. Look toward the atrium where she is, was. The Hanako real doll is. Raise the cup to an 87-degree angle. Snap your arm forward and let the cup go. Okay, it shattered against the wall. Get out of your chair. Go to the wall. Note the chalk marks from the shards and measure. Damn, marks on Hanako. I mean, the real doll. This still looks intentional. Just an accident. Damn. Back to the memory for a comparison. Original cup thrown above and to the right of her head. It shatters. Hanako ducks, possibly reflexively. She stands back up, looks towards me. There's a small cut on her cheek, some blood, fear in her eyes. She turns, opens the door, and leaves the apartment. Stop memory. Back to the analysis. Let's see. Facts so far. Errant shard of porcelain cuts her cheek. Okay, I mean, it was an anomaly. If I can recreate it, show her. I mean, prove to her, right? An accidental shard. I didn't mean to hurt her. She just needs to see it. The end. Steve Howard lives in Japan and teaches English. He has published short stories, poetry, and creative nonfiction. He is trying to publish his first novel and finish writing his second. Succession, written by Don Allison, read by Vincent Lewis Carella. Listening time, 12 minutes, 10 seconds. Succession, by Don Allison. God swooped down from the heavens and smote me right on the head, with a brick or maybe a rock. It didn't matter one way or the other. I was frozen and so stunned by the sight of him that it never occurred to me to step out of the way. Not until it hit me. On the outside, the only sound it made was a dull thud, but to me, it was thunder. I felt a flash of overwhelming pain. So brief, I barely noticed it was there before it was gone, and I didn't feel anything at all. I heard him laughing as I fell to the ground, clutching my scalp. The last thought I had before I hit the cracked pavement was, God damn it. Of course, at the time, I wasn't certain whether or not I was dead. 
I thought there might be a chance that I was just lying there on the street, stone-cold unconscious and waiting for an eighteen-wheeler to mow me over and finish the job. See, dead or not, I would have preferred an open-casket funeral to a closed one, and the thought of my skull getting crushed beneath even a couple of wheels made me queasy. I could picture it. It looked like if you ran over a water balloon that isn't quite full. For a fraction of a second, all the liquid squishes and swells to either side and then splat. I meant to have a word with God about it, thinking that since he was the one who did this to me in the first place, at least he could grant me the dignity of not being ground into the pavement. It was convenient because as soon as the thought occurred to me, he was there, laughing deeply, proudly, watching me and wiping tears out of the corners of his eyes as though I were the punchline to the finest joke he'd ever made. That struck me as odd. After all, I'd seen much funnier myself. I used to have a dog that was afraid of the sound of his own farts. He'd jump up like something bit him in the ass and start running. You can't attribute that to anything but a divine sense of humor. The best kind. The kind that had nothing to do with my head and a rock. And why did he look so proud? It angered me, and I wanted to scream at him that anybody could have knocked me on the head with a rock. Anybody. I rubbed my head where he'd hit me. There was no lump there, but that was hardly any consolation. I'd still been harboring some hope that I was just unconscious rather than dead. Heaven is all fine and good, but I had a fridge stock full of Guinness and plans to watch the big game tomorrow on the new HDTV. Dead just wasn't going to cut it. But for all my irritation, I was at a loss for words. He was still laughing. You should have seen the look on your face, he said. He elbowed me in the ribs. I rolled my eyes and crossed my arms. He clapped me on the shoulder, and as much as I wanted to be angry, I found that his touch melted any such notions away. Besides, I could picture myself standing there on the sidewalk, slack-jawed and staring up at the sky. I had to admit, I wished I'd seen it, which reminded me. I'm a little concerned about my body, you know, just lying there, with that traffic and the sun and neighborhood dogs and the like. He laughed again as though it was completely inconsequential. Can I go back? He stopped laughing, his eyes filled with sympathy and regret. I leaned closer, drawn in by the eyes I was just noticing for the first time. Everything was in his eyes, if you can imagine that. I could make out the world turning, and when I squinted and bent closer still, I could see the cresting ocean waves, the orange glow of city lights against night sky, the mountains, the desert. Infinite sadness, infinite joy. It made my heart ache to look, but I couldn't tear myself away, even though I wanted to. When I looked in his eyes, I caught a glimpse, just a glimpse, of everything. Even as I looked, I saw that he knew how it pained me. Gently, he reached down and laid his hand on my shoulder. He closed his eyes, and when he opened them again, they were solid and hazel. But soon that changed to blue and then again to gold and so on. Every color I'd ever seen and some I hadn't, one after another. Would you leave so soon, he asked. He spread his arms, gesturing for me to take in my surroundings, and for the first time since I arrived I did just that. It was like a dream, my dream though. Naturally yours would be different. Summer sun peeked through wispy clouds like snow spun into cotton candy and stretched lazily across the sky. Fresh grass cooled my bare feet and a breeze sighed softly as it passed. 
It carried with it the smell of Carolina jasmine, so heavy and sweet it made me sleepy. The longer I looked, the more I saw. All concern for myself vanished. I never felt so free, so peaceful. I turned, and there he was, just watching with the slightest smile on his lips, a sad smile, though I didn't recognize it at the time. As soon as my eyes fell upon him, everything else melted away. It wasn't as though it disappeared, it just ceased to matter. I looked carefully into his face. It was in many ways not unlike the renderings of him that we are all familiar with. It wasn't right, though, and I knew it. He was wearing a mask for my comfort. It made me glad in one sense because I knew that he'd considered me, not the race of men in general, but me in particular. It also made me sad because somewhere deep down I knew that it was false. However, in his presence I mostly felt a sort of languorous comfort and a groggy sense of awe. May I see your real face, I asked. No need, he replied. My real face is yours. I didn't understand, but I felt no particular need to. I could have looked into his eyes and seen the answers to all my questions. I didn't. I'm weary, he said. I felt it myself all the way to my core, the kind of tired that comes with countless years beyond the scope of men. I staggered beneath the weight of it. He caught me and led me to a chair that hadn't been there only a second before. He sat next to me and draped his arm over my shoulders. You know, he said. I don't, I interrupted. Then I giggled like a drunk. It was his presence, so close. It was euphoric in a way, almost intoxicating. He shook his head like you might at an obnoxious child, and then he went on with what he meant to say. I'm not the first nor the last. His arm was suddenly heavy, a weight to be borne. Ask yourself who created who and why. Does God need men, or do men need God? And for what purpose? To smite the shit out of people? He smiled, my heart filled with warmth and delight. That smile was mine of my own creation and for me alone. That was when I noticed something. That smile, it really was mine. The yellowed teeth from the days when I used to smoke. The long scar where I'd stepped between two fighting dogs when I was a kid and a pit bull nearly ran away with my lip. I've looked at that smile every day for the last fifty-seven years. And then I realized that his eyes had stopped flickering through every color. They were now plain and brown, completely unremarkable, just like mine. What are you doing? I asked. Of course, by then I knew. Even if I denied it for a few moments more, I knew. His shoulders slumped forward just a bit like mine did. His hair darkened and began to recede until there was a big, bald patch that made his forehead seem a mile long. I reached up and felt my own hair. It was no longer receding. I wondered if my eyes were still brown, but knew the second the thought occurred that they weren't. A cacophony rose in my head, overwhelming me until I thought my mind might explode. Every noise in the world all at once. He rested a hand on my shoulder, my hand. Fingernails chewed right down to the quick and all. You can see how tiring it might get, he said. As I said, I'm not the first. We serve as long as we're able, and do the best we can until we can bear it no more, and then it's time to find a successor. He didn't have to tell me. I knew. I knew everything, I realized with a start. A real know-it-all, although it was so jumbled together that I could hardly sort it out. 
especially over the myriad of sounds crashing like waves in a tsunami again and again in the back of my mind. He meant to leave me. It was a horrible thought. I wanted to tell him I wasn't up for it. I wanted to fall on my knees and beg him to stay. At the same time, I knew he would not. I knew that all was as it must be. I let my mind wander as it filled until it flowed over. Why me? The answer came immediately. He knew long before I did that my remaining days were few. He didn't want life, not really, and my body was just a vehicle to death and to rest. The same cigarettes that had yellowed my teeth and planted the seed for the cancer that was thriving in my lungs. His lungs now. He wouldn't last long. Seven months and twelve days, to be precise. He wore my body better than I ever had, and for just a second I admired him in it. He looked so relaxed, so happy. He flexed my fingers, felt my face, stretched my legs. It was easy for him to be cheerful, I thought. Lung tumor or no, he was going back to the fridge, stocked with Guinness in the football game tomorrow on my brand spanking new HD. I, on the other hand, was going on to all the problems and weariness of the world. Needless to say, I envied him. Never in my life had I so badly wanted to be me, but I wasn't. Not anymore. Before I knew it, he was gone. God no longer, just plain old William Snitz, pulling himself up from where he'd been lying on the pavement and feeling at the growing lump on his head with a smile that seemed out of place on an injured man. In the days left to him, he enjoyed my body to the fullest and became the man I'd always wished I would be. You know, the one you tell yourself you're going to be starting tomorrow, but you always find reason to put it off another day. The night before he died, William Snitz knelt down on the brown shag carpet in my bedroom and asked me for forgiveness. He asked with a smile as though we shared some personal joke. We did, and more than that, we shared every joke, along with every misery, every terror, every instant of bliss, two magicians who knew the secret to the trick. He had done nothing that needed forgiving, from me or anybody else. I understand now why he laughed, for the same reason I do as often as I can. We have to. There's nothing else to it. You take it where you can get it and enjoy it while you're able, else the rest of it will wear you down, my friend, until there's nothing left. Of all the things I've experienced since I came, the day he passed was the worst. The months that led up to his death took me through the gamut of human emotions and beyond. I was still learning which rope to pull and when, but it was a comfort to know that he was there, just a glance away. When he was gone, I grieved. I'd experienced countless deaths, and none of them touched me like this. Sure, in some sense it was selfish. I liked having him around. A real card, but an ace at that. Mostly, though, I grieved because he was gone from the world. There will be no others quite like him. That was a great many years ago, of course. Now I've grown weary myself, and I apologize about the rock, but you have to admit it's a classic, a real beauty. I know you understand. Don Allison is a student at ECU in North Carolina, where it never rains rocks, but sometimes cats and dogs. That's how she got her cat. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories. <laughs>